Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Welcome to the very first playoff edition of Checking Out the Competition. We are joined by not one, but two wonderful Montreal Canadiens professionals um, from the Lockdown Canadiens podcast, Laura Saba and Scott Matla. Scott's also one of our SB Nation pals from Habs Eyes on the Prize. How are you guys doing? I think it's the first time anyone's called me like a wonderful like co-host or a guest on a show or anything because I feel like most people on Twitter would highly disagree with that assertion. <laughs> Those fools. Absolute fools. <laughs> I would just like to state for the record before we get into any talk that I strongly object to Carter Hart's assertion that Carey Price stole a series for the Canadians because if anything, the Pittsburgh Penguins handed some of those games to the Montreal Canadiens. And I would like for accuracy's sake to state that before we talk about anything else. Good to know. I'm glad you pointed that out because I didn't see a ton of those games. Um, I saw a couple, but let's talk about it a little bit because I think it's, (laughs) I think we might as well start with, I mean, I, I feel like that series was one of the ones where it was like, yeah, Montreal will probably hang around with Pittsburgh. They're not a terrible team, but like, yeah, they're definitely going to lose. Like, I feel like that was kind of the prevailing thought heading into that play-in series. Um, but obviously it didn't happen. And and you're seeming to suggest that it perhaps may have been more the Pittsburgh Penguins playing like ass and not the Montreal Canadiens <laughs> winning hockey games. So what would you say went right for the Habs in that series? Well, I I mean, I will say that it wasn't completely the Penguins playing badly. I think they made a lot of bad decisions, but what the Canadians were able to do really well was capitalize on any mistakes or bad decisions that the Penguins were making. And we talked about it on our own podcast is like, if you are a team like the Canadians, when you're faced with that uphill climb, and the team is more talented than you are, you have to take every single opportunity you can possibly get. And I think that they did that really well against the Penguins. And there were things that they did right and they did well. And um, I mean, I'm going to let Scott gush a little bit about the young guys because that was really exciting to see in the first series, in the play-in series. Yeah, the Canadians took advantage of the Penguins instead of deciding to play hockey, just, you know, suck eggs for most of the play-in round, in that players like Yasperi Kotkaniemi, who were sent to the AHL and actually missed the end of the abbreviated season with, you know, an internal body injury, came in and then just kind of took over the series, and they ate the Penguins' mistakes alive in that. Uh, Mike Sullivan continued to play Jack Johnson for God only knows what reason. And, you know, 80 billion year old Patrick Marlowe continued to play and they got eaten alive by the Canadians, young, hungry players who, you know, just did what they needed to do. They weren't anything crazy or fancy. They just 
took advantage of the Penguins' mistakes every single time. Jack Johnson got out of position, and the puck went in the net like clockwork, and it didn't matter what line. And Carey Price was great, like incredible even, but it wasn't just him. It's that every time Pittsburgh screwed something up or in game four, the deciding game in the series, Pittsburgh just didn't look like they cared at all to even try in that. And Montreal just kind of was content to do that because low event hockey suits them that they have all these lines they can roll out, but they might not have the high skill of a Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin, but they're more than content to just wear you down and then take advantage when you slip up. And that's what they did over four games. Yeah. So the, the carry price thing I'm, I'm super interested in because I kind of thought that if the Canadians were going to make noise in these playoffs at all, it was going to be because Carey Price remembered that he's actually a really good goalie because he seems to have forgotten, but I think he might've remembered. Um, <laughs> but obviously like a, a five game series isn't a very big sample size for anything. Um, he had an incredibly good save percentage in the games that he played against the Penguins, but did he actually look to your obviously well-trained eyes remarkably better than he had been during the regular season? Or do you think that this is just a situation where in a few games, as things do in hockey, this is just how it ended up? Or was he actually playing better? He looked like the goalie who won all of those awards a few years ago. Hmm. He was positionally sound. He wasn't giving up rebounds. He was tracking the play. And then he also had that kind of cocky swagger to him. Like he was tossing pucks at Sidney Crosby. He was, he was, you know, literally like fighting through penguins with, you know, his blocker and glove and shoving them out of the way. He looked like the guy who was the best goalie in the world. And with that, his team helped him out defensively. But at the same time, any like really dangerous chance, he was there to shut that down on second, third, fourth chances, scrambles around the net. Pucks that sometimes, you know, hit off of someone's butt or knee and went in, like trickled in over the line, didn't go in in this series because he was back on his game. And I don't know if that's just he's playing for something or if it's rest or whatever it is, but it was just a different carry price in this series than we saw for a good chunk of this year. And I think that just comes from not having to play two, three, four weeks in a row before getting a break between starts. I would agree with that. We've sort of come tentatively come to the conclusion that Carey Price is based on his age and his like his athleticism and stuff like that. Like he needs recovery and rest. And that's something that he hasn't really been able to get in Montreal in the last few years. You know, the, the, the backup situation has not been ideal. And when you're Carey Price's age, I think the ideal scenario for you would be like a 1B backup as as opposed to somebody the team has to worry about. And then you mm -hmm. kind of feel that pressure to go in and play. And he does. He likes to play a lot. But at some point, you know, like the team has to be able to say to him, we're fine. You need to sit a couple of games in a row. You need to not play. He played back to backs this season, which was strange. And, um, you know, I, I would think that in, in the NHL, that's something that you just don't do. You know, like there's always a story about who's going to play the first night or the second night, depending on the opponent. And Carey Price would, would go through stretches like that where he wouldn't get a single break. But even through the year, he struggled a lot coming out of the gate. He had what we call the nightmare November. But then in December and January and even in February, 
Like, but particularly January, I would say, like, he came out and was the old Carey Price. Like, if you removed his nightmare first couple of months, like, his safe percentages were right back up there where we're used to. Carey Price, is he's not lost his talent. He's just, he needs rest. He's getting old. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, and that's, you know, that's kind of when it's the playoffs, especially in something like four games, right? He was able to really turn it on in four games. And then I guess we're going to see what, 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 what happens against the Flyers because it's not, it's not enough games for him to get tired, but it's a high pressure situation. So. And they threw in a back to back in a playoff series. <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, are you like, like what, why, why in the world would you put it back? I don't, I don't know. That really because the me. NHL is, you know, the, by far the least sensible league in the entire world, if we're being fully honest here. Well, the Flyers' schedule this season was absurd pretty much the whole way through, like, with a ridiculous number of back-to-backs. And I was just like, even in the playoffs, they can't give us a break and let them have a night off in between games, which I feel like for our entire lives has been tradition. <laughs> you kind of get a night off after every playoff game, but I guess the COVID cup's going to be wild. Um, not really loving the idea of a cocky carry price. Don't really need that in my life right now. Um, just because, like I said, if anyone is going to steal games, even if he didn't have to do it against the penguins, he's the guy that's probably going to be able to do it because as you said, he didn't lose the talent. It's still there. Um, and he could pick it back up at any time. But one of the things that I found interesting um, about the way that the team kind of structured the lineup in that Penguin series was um, breaking up the top line uh, that had been together, I think, for most of the season, which was, have some notes here because I'm a professional, um, Thomas Tatar, Philip Deneau, Brendan Gallagher, um, and kind of spread them out through the lineup, I'm guessing, to put less of a target on that top line um, as far as a shutdown situation goes. Do you see that continuing? And did you like the way the team looked with that line broken up? For me, I don't think it's that the top line was playing badly. It just allowed them to spread out their attack and defense a little bit better because Thomas Tatar and Brendan Gallagher with Nick Suzuki kind of supports, you know, what Nick Suzuki is. He's a creative playmaker and those two shoot the puck a lot. So it makes sense to try and get them going because the Canadians didn't get a goal from their top line in that entire series. They didn't get one from Gallagher to or Tatar and then dropping Deno down to a line with Arturi Lekkanen and Paul Byron, who are all noted for their two-way play and their ability to kind of create offense out of nowhere around the net kind of helped. And they were the ones who helped them win game three, uh, games uh, three and four there that they were the sneaky unheralded line that Claude Julien finally, after a screaming at him the entire year, to do something to change the lineup. After game two, he went ahead and did that when it wasn't quite clicking. It gave the Canadians a new look attack, and the Penguins, for whatever reason, just sat there and went, maybe we should do something about this. Now, what if we just put Jack Johnson out there again, and then they got scored on and lost the game? Like, that's what the Penguins couldn't adjust to Claude Julien's minor lineup adjustments. And it cost them the series. And against the Flyers, I wouldn't be shocked to see him moving pieces all over just to see how he can try and exploit any deficiencies in the Flyers lineup if there's any to be had. 
Yeah, I was kind of wondering about that. I wanted to just, I guess we can shift focus now to the Flyers series. Um, <laughs> I guess that's kind of what we're supposed to be talking about here. Um, one of the things, I think it was Charlie, it had to be Charlie, that pointed it out in his kind of preview of this series, um, is that typically the way the Flyers approach an opponent is they identify the best line on that team and they send Sean Couturier out against that line and then he destroys them. And then the Flyers are able to kind of contain the most talented players and go to work to work on the rest of the guys. Um, one of the things that seems to be the way that this Montreal Canadiens team operates is it's more by committee. It's less, these are the really good players. These are the ones you're going to focus on. So what I'm wondering is in your opinion, if you were Elaine Vigneault, your old pal, um, and you were going to put Sean Couturier out against one of these lines, or I guess against maybe one of these players in particular, who do you think is the guy that the Flyers need to shut down in order to be successful? Nick Suzuki. Okay. Uh, that I, I didn't mean for that for it to be that instant. Um, obviously, we <laughs> talked a lot about um, you know Tatar and 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 the, the Tatar Tatar Deno. Gallagher line being their top line and the thing is the the problem with a lot of those players is if they move them around they're not as effective with the other lines as Nick Suzuki is by being moved onto your line if that makes sense so he's really the he creates plays and chances that other players are able to respond really well to so so if if you're going to worry about one guy you're going to worry about Nick Suzuki if you're going to worry about a line I do sense that while Claude Julien is probably going to be making changes throughout the series, he's now shown that he actually will adapt to a high-pressure situation. Uh, I think that it's entirely likely that they start off with that first line intact and then make the changes as they go, you know, maybe maybe give it a period or two. That's my prediction. Again, Claude could be really surprising. But if I were the Flyers, that's really the player that I would focus on. And other than that, Philippe Dano, because he's a phenomenal two-way player and he's really somebody that people don't pay a lot of attention to and then he gets things done so if I were gonna focus my attention it would be those two guys for sure but again like it like you said it's by committee there's no real standout elite superstars on this team other than Carey Price so what you're really gonna do is you're gonna worry about which two players are clicking or which line is really clicking Mm -hmm. in certain situations and you're gonna have to like solve for the situations more than you are covering a guy. I agree with Laura that Nick Suzuki is kind of the straw that stirs the drink, but at the same time, the Canadians top line was one of the best in the NHL this year. And even if they didn't score against the Penguins, they were still dangerous in their own way. So it kind of depends on, you know, is it column A or column B, or do you have, you know, two groups that you can kind of trust with that assignment if Suzuki goes back to his line or if they shift things around, but it, you, it, it's kind of fun to actually think that the Canadians have more than one line that they might, someone might have to focus on for the first time in like three <laughs> years. <laughs> so one of the things, um, Kurt from our website, Broad Street Hockey, um, before we knew that the Canadians is who we were going to end up with in the first round, he kind of rolled through little, how we did against each of the teams that we might've been playing in the first round. And in the Canadians, when he noted that the Habs for pretty much this entire season were kind of low-key great as far as underlying metrics went. 
Um, really good play drivers, really good possession numbers. And um, going back to Charlie's piece, he pointed out that they are extremely good in the neutral zone, kind of forcing their opponents to play more of a dump and chase game while they are controlling their entries into the offensive zone and getting to work that way. Did you see that go on in the Penn series? Um, is that something we still have to worry about that neutral zone play? I think it's the Canadian style just kind of wears on you is that they're about pressure and getting in and puck retrieving and forcing teams to some lines. Yeah. Like obviously Crosby and Malkin could enter the zone whenever they want to, because they're Crosby and Malkin, but right. for the most part, <laughs> Shea Weber and Ben Sherratt at the blue line, you're not going through them because they're literally just 250 pounds of muscle and beard. So it, it, it kind of, Yes. I mean, I think it's they're not going to change their style. You might see some different looks from lines where Nick Suzuki is carrying the puck more if he's back up with the top line. Otherwise, guys like Brendan Gallagher and Tatar just blow through the neutral zone, come in and just start firing off pucks at the net over and over again. And it's the same thing with Arturi Lekkinen. So it's I would definitely expect the same, but I think they might look to try and attack more of the high danger areas if they can, because... The whole thing with Gallagher and Tatar is they shoot a lot, but it doesn't always from a high percentage area when they get the puck in. So, I mean, it's more than likely nothing's really going to change too much from the regular season. I, at least I would hope anyways. <laughs> the one thing I will note that did change a little bit in the Penguin series is that I noted personally that the defense, like the, the Canadians play in their own zone was remarkably better than I had been used to in the regular season. And I really, I think that definitely it has a lot to do with some of the adjustments that were made and also being well-rested. But uh, I I think, you know, obviously it's Charlie, he knows everything. And the neutral zone play is really one of their strong suits, but they're also kind of, you know, we talk a lot about their inability to finish, but once, once they get into your zone, like you're going to be stuck there for quite a while and Mm. potentially scrambling. And that's another thing that like, we noticed that they forced a lot of icing calls and uh, quite a bit of penalties. I would say more penalties than I'm used to the Canadians drawing in that penguin series. And like, they did tend to lose their heads a little bit and, and sort of react. Just like you said, the Canadians are really good at forcing you to do things. Um, but I did notice an improvement in the defensive play. And again, it is a small sample size and Carey Price obviously like skews that a lot, but per, like, you know, just, just by watching I was I was impressed with that. But I would say that like, once you're, once you're out of your own zone, there's a high chance that you're going to get into trouble with the Canadians. So I'm glad you brought up penalties because I did want to talk about special teams a little bit. Um, I know for most of the season, Special teams were a bit of a struggle point for the Habs. Um, Did you see that start to change at all during the Penn series, or was it still struggling a bit? (laughs) (laughs) The major difference was that Carey Price was on his game in the penalty kill. That's what we saw. Uh, We've been screaming for the Canadians to change their power play strategies, and it looked like they were doing it in training camp, and then they just didn't so <laughs> it's a major source of frustration and i'm gonna let scott yell because he has some choice words for the canadians power play oh my god kirk muller sucks so bad at coaching the power play everybody knows you're passing the puck to shea weber 
for the love of God, move him somewhere besides the blue line. It's all I'm asking for you to do. Of the goals scored by the Canadians' defense in this series, all three of them were scored at, like, the goal line on Matt Murray. It's It blows my mind that they had four and a half months off and they didn't fix a goddamn thing with the power play. <laughs> it's unbelievable how bad it is. Like Laura said, the penalty kill was much better because Carey Price was great at tracking pucks and everything. I'm happy with that, but... If you give the Canadians a power play, you're just literally burning two minutes off the clock and making me, you know, lose a few more days off of my life as I rip out my hair screaming at my television set. It It's horrendous how bad the power play is, and there's no excuse for it. They have players that can make things work, and the system just doesn't, and it refuses to change. I'm calling at least two shorthanded goals for the Flyers in this season, in this, just, in this series. In I was this just going to say, like, all of this sounds to me like I'm going to get a Kevin Hayes shorty, at least one. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was thinking more along the lines of Sean Couturier, but all right. <laughs> he seems to be the shorthanded guy this season. He's like the new Mike Richards for us. Like, he's kind of always <laughs> in that spot where he can just pick it off real quick and take off. But we'll see. The Flyers' penalty kill has been quite good the power play on the other hand um not at all good um especially in the entire of the the entirety of the round robin tournament it's been pretty bad so um for the most part it just seems to be a luck thing because the group that is playing on the power play was good before so there's really no reason why they shouldn't be good now um maybe Playing against a bad Habs penalty kill will help them, but we're going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> Is it the movable object versus the stoppable force instead of, you know, something else? Something like that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not really sure what it is. I think it's just one of those one of those random hockey things where it's just like, no, none of these pucks are going to go in now for no discernible reason, even though they all went in before. But anyway, for fun, I thought it would be interesting to ask you how some of our old friends are doing Jordan wheel and Dale Weiss on the fourth line for you guys. And it looks like Christian Foley is playing the third pair, um, which is interesting and makes me sad for you. Um, but how are our, our old pals looking? Should we worry about the fourth line containing Jordan wheel and Dale Weiss? Um, well, one Foley didn't play in, uh, round in the qualifying round. They went with Victor Mete on his offside and Xavier Ouellette. And then on the fourth line, Claude Julian, despite all evidence to the contrary, continues to play Dale Weiss alongside Alex Belzeal, who now has one NHL game under his belt in the elimination game against the Penguins and Max Domi on the fourth line. And Jordan wheel is currently a a healthy scratch. So his wonderful hair that he grew out during quarantine does not get to see the ice currently. And oh, it makes true. me extremely sad. Dale Weiss getting time and Jordan Wheel sitting. The NHL is hilarious sometimes. It, it, it's, it blows my mind. We cannot figure out why Dale Weiss continues to play because every chart from Sean Tierney and everybody else points out that Dale Weiss is quite literally the worst performing forward on the team. But my theory is that Claude Julian only ever saw the best of Dale Weiss when he was the Bruins coach in 2014 <laughs> and Weiss created himself as a cult hero. And now he has that vision of Dale Weiss stuck in his head permanently. 
And if the power play takes, you know, days off of my life, watching Dale Weiss drop pass to nobody when they have an offensive zone start takes years off of my life. Oh, man. That all sounds very familiar to me, and I don't I don't like it. (laughs) I tried to block all of that out. Um, So I guess the last thing I will ask you kind of specifically about this team heading into the series is besides Nick Suzuki, who I think I'm mentally prepared for being very good. um, Is there a player on this team that you think like somebody who, if he's entering the zone with the puck on his stick, Flyers fans might want to clench up a little bit because something could happen. Hmm. I, I, I'm i going to go ahead and just, you know, default to Nick Suzuki again, because he had in game one against the Penguins, he blocked a shot and took it the other way and skating down. And I've become so used to the Canadians not having good things happen for them that when he ripped that goal on Matt Murray, it's like, oh, this is different. I forgot Nick Suzuki's actually really good at this hockey thing. He's definitely the one that when he gets going, I would kind of, you know, panic a little bit. But also I think Max Domi and uh, rejuvenated Jonathan Drouin might, you know, draw some attention. Drouin scored in game three and then looked so different in game four against the Penguins that if he's coming into this series and he's got all of his confidence back, he could be an absolute handful for anybody. I'm also going to say that don't sleep on Yasperi Kotkaniemi just because he had such a rough regular season. And he did so much work and came back and he's had a phenomenal, you know, playing round. It's it's only four games. Yes, I understand. But he he seems like he's been set free from sort some sort of shackles. It's so cute to watch. <laughs> uh, but I would agree with the with the Nick Suzuki assessment because the problem is that Nick Suzuki can see the game like three, four, five plays ahead. So mm. if he's bringing the puck into the zone, you already know he knows what he's going to do with it. And you got to worry about whoever he's going to pass it to. Like, I would say that's a big thing. But also, uh, Jonathan Drouin, he he came back into training camp having done so much work. Again, he was also injured during the regular season. And he, he did so much work and he seemed like so ready to go and fired up. He was one of the first Canadians to start working out. And then the game started and he just couldn't get his confidence. And he he even fumbled a puck. What do you call it? What he did he did a Brad Marchand move on a on a penalty shot. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, he whiffed on it. I think it's a whiff. That's what you yeah. call it. He whiffed on the shot. And then you could tell though because we've been we've been seeing it all along is that once he gets into his own head and loses his confidence, he sucks. He just mm-hmm. he, he can't get it together. And you could see his talent, and you could see his talent not resulting in anything good. But as soon his as soon as he feels good about himself, like he's really like he gets really confident uh, in the zone. And you can watch, like, he'll stick handle, he'll he'll skate circles around you. It, it, it's beautiful to watch. And once in a while, the puck will go in. So <laughs> <laughs> Always nice when that happens, right? <laughs> so normally, when we do these things, I ask for someone to predict the final score of a singular hockey game. But since this is the playoffs and everything's more fun, how about you guys give me a guess for how many games you think this series is going to go and who you think is going to win it? Oh, people are going to yell at me, aren't they? I (laughs) certainly not me anyway. (laughs) My thought is as good as the Canadians have with their underlying numbers. There's a lot about the Flyers team that kind of scares me a little bit. If the Canadians power play can get going, 
it's an entirely different series, but they've shown me little to nothing to make me think that's going to happen. I think the Flyers take this series within six games. Okay. I think that's pretty reasonable because, again, like, you know, you can't count out. You can't be like, oh, Penguins in four. Yes, I understand that Penguins are firing on all cylinders. They seem to have some sort of miracle run going. I do think that it is entirely within like as in I wouldn't be surprised if the Flyers actually won the cup this year which is something that I would not have said a couple months ago absolutely not but I just think the way that they played against the the really good teams has just like they came ready to play and everybody else has issues they still need to work out and I I guess other than the the power play the um the Flyers really have everything going for them unless there's like a Carter Hart meltdown or injury I'm thinking the Flyers are gonna win but I think that The Canadians aren't bad enough to get swept. I think that they will put up a fight. I think there's going to be a couple of games where they turn it into really like a grinding, dull kind of game and then end up winning. And I'm going to say six or seven. Okay. Yeah, six or seven. But it'll be the Flyers. And I think the Flyers are going to have a good fun run. And this is not because of my Flyers feelings. I truly think that they're really good this year. (laughs) I did my bracket this afternoon and I had the Flyers in five. But not because I think that Montreal is going to be an easy team to beat. I kind of did, admittedly, um, when this whole thing started, think to myself, well, whoever gets Montreal is pretty lucky if they get Montreal because that's going to be an easy, you know, sweep them right out of here. But um, I don't think that anymore. I do think that Montreal is going to prove to be a difficult team to beat. I don't think they're going to make it easy for the Flyers. I definitely think that the Flyers will drop at least that one game. Um, but I do kind of think that they're they're going to do something this, this year, I think. I'm feeling it. So hopefully this is the start, unfortunately, for you guys who I love dearly. But, um, you know, another year for them. <laughs> Maybe next year, like There's we've been a, saying although, for four years. Although, honestly, like... <laughs> You should have just lost the damn playing series and gotten the stupid French kid. Can you please explain to a bunch of hockey players that they need to lose a game? I know. They're so useless. They always trying to win. I care if guys to lose. That doesn't usually go very well. (laughs) I know you'll be one year older next season, but you'll have a really good player on your team, so it's good. Yeah, but it's also like, you know, we keep saying maybe next year, maybe next year. But right now, I wouldn't say maybe next year, but I'll say maybe in like two or three years, maybe not a cup, but like exciting playoff runs with really fun, exciting young players. Like, I think that's that's happening, you know, in the next few years, unless Mark Bergevin trades them all away. <laughs> I'll be into it because I'm I'm of the opinion that the Habs, the Habs are one of the teams where if they're good, it's better for all of us. The Habs being good. The Leafs, unfortunately, being good, I think is is good for. I mean, mostly just I want other teams in the Atlantic to be good, because I don't want to hear about Boston and Tampa anymore. So I'm looking. Us too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that's all I have for you guys. Thank you so much for doing this. This was super fun. Thank you. Everyone Thank should you. check out locked on Canadians their podcast to learn a little bit about the Habs as we head into the series I'm sure you guys will have a lot of fun stuff coming out during this whole thing um and of course you can find Scott at Habs eyes on the prize 
which is the Habs blog on the SB Nation Network. Thank you both so much. This was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy the series. Thank you for having us. Thank you. All right, go Flyers. All right. <laughs>